You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Vlad Radulescu, who is using Rails to build a platform that lets you sync your games and achievements all in one place. Vlad, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Nick. Glad to be here. Very happy to have you on. So do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about your platform? Sure. Uh, my name is Vlad Radulescu. During the day, I work for a small team called Smart Editors. Uh, we're based in Telford, and we mainly do in-house software. But during the night, where the fun begins, I work on a platform called Games Directory. I haven't reinvented the wheel over the years. I have found other platforms that do the same thing. But the main purpose of Games Directory is allowing you to sync all your gaming networks. Um, and by that, I mean PlayStation, Xbox, Steam, um, Epic, and so on. And the main goal of this platform is to allow you to sync it as easily as possible. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot more to it. We have, we have news, um, games databases, APIs, open authentication, and, and so much more. But the core of the platform is your, your games and achievements in one place, all in one directory, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, we'll definitely dive into the gory details about that one. Yeah, so it sounds like you're a software developer by day, a software developer by night. I am. Um, some people find that weird, but I, I just enjoy it. No, that's really cool. So when it came to starting up this site, how long ago was it? Um, so I've started about 2015. That's when I actually started um, Ruby on Rails as well. Um, so when I got hired by Smart Editors, I was actually hired as a PHP developer, but at the time we took over, um, so their software um, was managed by an agency um, and what they wanted was to bring the software in-house. The software was written, written in Ruby, so my um, project manager at the time suggested that um, instead of me doing new, new tools in PHP, learn Rails and helping with maintaining this software. So that's that's kind of how I start with, started with Rails as well. Nice. With this project, was this like your first take building Rails? Like this is the first app that you've built with it? Yes. Um, it was kind of, um, right, let's learn Rails. What's the best way to do it? found it a bit hard to dwell in, uh, in the legacy code that we inherited because it, it was a big app at the time. Um, so I just started with the tutorial by, uh, I'm sure mo- most people say, say it now, it's Michael Hartle or something like that. I don't know if I can pronounce the name right. It was just a simple uh, Rails tutorial, and I just wanted to create something that's uh, not necessarily a to-do app, because uh, nowadays, uh, whenever you want to build something inside a to-do app or Hello World, so I just wanted to uh, build something more complicated. And the first thing Games Directed did, and at the time I called it My Games, uh, was essentially allowing you to add your games into a directory, and then the the platform would then go to Giant Bomb um, API and get the data, so like description, platforms, uh, developer, and so on. And that was it. That was uh, the first... Um, iteration of games directory and it worked got some users people yeah people used it um, it was fine but i didn't like it um, I, I just wanted some um, more automation if you if you like I, I wanted to be able to just say here's my steam account pull everything that's how we developed further i started with steam then added playstation and then added xbox and so on okay so if you had to guess, like how long do you think it took you to go from just empty folder to shipping that first version of the app, like the MVP? I, I should have looked on GitHub and see one. Um, I think it took about a month. Uh, I, I'm, and when I say a month, it's, it's literally just uh, a CRUD app that allows you to create your games and then where, uh, uh, the app will then go to Giant Bomb and get the metadata. The game directed that is today, it's, it's still not finished. And I don't think it'll ever be finished. It's it's continuous 
continuously growing. Nice. Well, it's always nice to see that that it's growing. If you don't mind sharing, like, what type of traffic do you get? Like, how many signups or like whatever metric makes sense? Um, so signups wise, um, I don't get many because I haven't uh, spread the word about it. If you like, it's just it's always been friends of friends. Um, so at the moment, uh, there's about seven seven thousand users. Maybe just about four thousand are active. Um, and when I say active, it's, it's more like one once a week they log in and they view their directory. In terms of traffic, it's again probably ten thousand hits a month, so it's it's not a lot. I don't want people to use it yet because I'm I'm just not happy with with how it currently works in terms of uh, user experience. Okay, but yeah, that's that's actually quite a lot of users. Like I was thinking, friends of friends or whatever, maybe like thirty people signed up. But a couple thousand is uh, a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's seven years. Um, it's been seven years since I started. And actually, when I when I put uh, my games IO um, on Product Hunt uh, seven years ago, I, I got the first. I think was was about a hundred users. Um, so that's how it started. That was the only advertisement I ran with it. And from those 100 users, it was just a word of mouth, basically. Okay. And by the way, you know, earlier you mentioned that you switched over from using PHP to Rails. Do you want to go over your motivation for switch, for switching to Rails? Like, was there a specific thing of the framework that you really liked or just saw a video somewhere? And to be honest, coming from um, CodeIgniter, uh, which is or was, I don't know if it's still available, a PHP framework, I just found writing Ruby and Rails more fun and easy. So after I finished uh, my games, I just stuck with it because I, I like I enjoyed uh, writing code, basically. Okay. Maybe now we can talk a little bit about those different gaming APIs that you're hitting, like for Steam and PlayStation and Xbox. When it came to choosing which one to use first, was it due to like ease of use of their APIs or just like from popularity? Um, so I started with Steam because it was the only gaming API that was um, open to users, basically. So uh, if you want, you can just go register an API key and use that API. And then PlayStation, because uh, there was um, an API platform called PSN Leaderboards, I think, uh, which again was was available for me to use. Um, And then Xbox, uh, because again, I found an API that allowed the party to use their API. Uh, apart from Steam, um, all the other ones are not publicly available. So if you want to use them, you either have to find someone that's already done it and has a platform for it or reverse engineer the APIs that they use like in, in the mobile apps or whatever, or the web. Okay. So I have absolutely zero experience interfacing with any of those APIs. Do you want to maybe give us like what the experience has been like because we all know like well not we all know but like something like stripe right like the api experience there is very nice like how does steam's api compare to that like on a scale of one to ten steam api i'd I'd give it a three only because it's very limited um and when i say that i mean you can only get a user's games and achievements which which is fine it did uh it did what i wanted it I just want a bit more, like uh, st- uh, stats, like how many users have this game, or can I get some more details about the game rather than just a name um, and an app ID and so on. So to do that, I had to, again, reverse engineer the Steam uh, for Windows. But it is a simple JSON website, uh, sorry, uh, API. So in terms of accessing it and all that, it's probably a 10. It's easy to access. But I just wish there was more information. And then PlayStation, where do I even start? I think Sony has the messiest APIs I've ever seen in my life. It's just hard to link data, basically. So I'll I'll give it a strong one. (laughs) Um, And then I think Xbox has the nicest API, although it's not available to the public. It's very organized. Um, and what I like the most about their API is that they have certain endpoints where you can do um, in bulk. So, for example, if I want to 
refresh a hundred users rather than hitting their API a hundred times. I can hit the bulk API, pass the user IDs, and then I get all the data that I need. And the maximum amount of IDs you can pass is actually 1000. So it just makes it a lot easier to database some data without hammering their API. Right. Yeah, it's a big difference being able to do a thousand in one shot versus a thousand independent calls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, when it came to reverse engineering the Windows app for Steam, do you mean just like trying to find undocumented API calls through that and then you use them? Or do you mean just like scraping that for data? No, yeah. Um, so essentially what I did was uh, listening to the HTTP requests the app does and then using them in my app. Nice. Did you end up using a tool like Wireshark or something else to get that, that data out? At first, yes. Uh, I used Wireshark, but it's just... Wireshark is a great tool, but there's just so much overwhelming data. So what I ended up using is Fiddler, um, because Fiddler has a way of allowing you to intercept the the traffic and then how do I how do I say uh, sorry uh, have a certificate. It's a I don't want to say a mid mid man in the middle attack, but it's just listening to the uh, secure. Uh, connections that the app makes to the API and decrypt it. Sounds, mm-hmm. sounds like I'm hacking, but it's just a, it's just a simple way of uh, intercepting secure traffic through HTTPS. Okay. And by the way, like, are you saying anything that's going to like jeopardize your API access to Steam here or no? Um, all, all the, uh, yeah, all, all that I'm using is um, obviously it's the same endpoints that the Steam app uses. Um, and I'm, th- I'm talking about getting store information. So uh, when you when I request uh, a game from Steam on their official API, all I get is a name and an app ID. But on the unofficial API, I get screenshots, description, uh, and whatnot. So it has nothing to do with um, user security or anything like that. Okay. So going back to this Rails app, is this running the latest stable version of Rails or something earlier? It's 6.1.4 at the moment. Uh, working my way through Master, which is 7, because um, it has uh, 7 has uh, some nice features that will allow me to improve the performance. Do you want to go over a couple of those, like examples of what things will be? Yeah, it's mainly to do with the data, the multiple databases. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the latest of Rails, uh, but the new Rails will allow you to basically allow um, certain uh, multiple databases to communicate easily through the same active record object. Because um, at the moment, if you have multiple databases and you want them to intercommunicate with with an ob- um, with an active record object, you have to hack it a bit. So I'm saying, um, for example, a user has a PlayStation identity, Xbox identity, and Steam identity. And these are four different tables. Each provider has its own database. So for example, PlayStation has its own database with its own users. So when I want to say, give me the PlayStation user for, uh, sorry, PlayStation identity for this user, I have to create a middle middle layer that will allow me to associate the data. Okay. Do you want to walk us through what led you to go down that path to where every provider has their own database, just versus, you know, versus having one table or a specific table in a single database? Yeah. I mean, it, I started with one database, um, but it just grew. It, it grew and grew. Um, like I said, I wanted more from, from each provider, games, uh, trophies, and so on. I found out that each provider started growing too much. The best option I had at the time was to use uh, multiple databases. With RHEL 6, it's it's a lot easier. Uh, it's actually what pushed me to use multiple databases is uh, the ability to use them with RHEL 6. Right. You mean RHEL 7, right? No, no. Uh, this feature is available in RHEL 6. RHEL 7 makes it easier to... Uh, communicate. Gotcha. Yeah, so I didn't look at the changelog for Rails 7, but is this the new improvements to be able to do like 
table joins across different databases, not just like setting up a read-write replicas? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to better explain. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's per that's a perfect explanation. Okay, cool. Now, speaking of like, potential Rails features that are using, do you want to go over uh, what you happen to be using? Like, do you happen to use Action Cable or like file uploads or Active Job or whatever? Whenever I I create something or um, implement something, I always try and use Rails or a Rails feature. Uh, so when Rails announced Active Storage, um, I dropped Paper Trail and moved on to Active Storage straight away. I like, I love the Rails ecosystem. Um, so I'm trying to use it as much as I can. So at the moment, I kind of use everything except uh, the new Kubo or Hotwire, sorry, uh, because I'm still getting my head around it. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm using uh, Action Text, Active Storage, um, what whilst, I'm not, I'm not sure. What about Action Cable, like for WebSocket connections, pushing broadcasting? What I use most is actually use Stimulus Reflex. Yeah, I, I use uh, Stimulus Reflex a lot in the app. Uh, I don't have a lick of JavaScript load data remotely if, if you like um, everything is handled by the back end and served on the front end through stimulus reflexes web sockets um, I absolutely absolutely love stimulus reflex if I ever if I ever make a million dollar out of this app I'll uh, I'll gladly split half of it with stimulus reflex it just made my life so so easy it's it's ridiculous how how easy it is to just create a reflex and perform some operations. I don't know if you're familiar with the library. Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with it. Haven't used it a ton, but for listeners out there, do you want to give them the rundown on how Stimulus Reflex helps you uh, create reactive apps and like what types of features you're using it for? In the app, so I'm, I'm going to give an example in the um, user collection. So when a user views his collection list, um, there's a couple of features. Um, one is um, starring it, so basically adding it to a list. Then you've got edit, which allows you to manage its lists or add a review or star it and so on. Every single interaction is handled by Stimulus Reflex. So when, for example, you favorite your collection, behind the scenes it will hit a Stimulus Reflex class um, add it to the list and then the WebSockets will uh, run, uh, send the new HTML and Stimulus Reflex will update the page with a new um, HTML. All your your data will stay there and what it'll do will just replace what's changed. So I suppose the user is concerned. It is a single, oh, sorry, a reactive. Is that, is that what you call it? Uh, a react single page app or whatever? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, the list will be populated. Um, it'll have a little heart on it um, and so on. It's, it, yeah, it's amazing. Right, so it's basically like a different take on the hot wire approach or turbo specifically. I mean, I, I, I would say it's the other way around because turbo is, is newer than stimulus reflex. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, um, I don't think they do the same. They work the same. But the goal is the same. I think, again, I haven't really looked into Turbo. But from what I'm understanding is uh, Turbo will allow you to create a frame. So, for example, in my case, when when I add a list, sorry, when I assign a new list to a collection, I'm guessing the, the list will be a frame. And then where the list is rendered on the collection HTML is another frame and it'll update itself. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know how Turbo works, but that's my understanding of it. So I, I, I'll end up using both. I, I do see certain sections in my app benefiting from rather than re-rendering the whole, whole HTML, having a little frame that just does one job. Right. Yeah, that's the appeal to it. Like you can just swap out that little one div instead of like the whole entire page. Yeah, um, and one one place I'm gonna test it and learn it is, for example, when you write a review 
for your collection that little section will become a frame and then when you press submit turbo will hit the the back end get the review and then update the html with a i don't know thank you your review has been submitted and then it'll show the the review that the user wrote uh, rather than you know re-rendering the whole controller action right so you mentioned that you really don't have that much handwritten javascript in this application but do you happen to use webpacker or no um i, I used to use webpacker uh, but i've recently switched to vite right I, I don't know how to pronounce it um webpacker was way too slow um, what, I, what i like to do is have my html update on every single change that i make because um, I like to to have my screen split. Uh, one window is uh, my code editor, and then the other one is the browser. And I like to see the changes straight away. So with Webpacker, it became tedious to do that because it would take about a few seconds for each save to compile. But Vite, it's just so damn fast. But to answer your question, I do use um, like a compiler. Right, like something to create bundles at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I do have some JavaScript, like vanilla JavaScript, but it's mainly stimulus controllers. Okay, do you want to give us an example of a couple of them? Yeah, so for example, in um, on the user activities page, which is essentially trophies, I have a little, uh, you know, on GitHub where you have your punch card or whatever it's called, the activity graph. And it shows how many contributions you made over the last year or something. Um, I have something similar there, and that's handled by a controller. Um, and what it essentially does, it just um, calls the API, uh, gets the data, and then renders the chart. Easy. Um, and then on the HTML, all I say is data controller chart, um, data URL is the API, and that's it. And that's how I like to keep it simple. So I'm just curious, is that a feature that anyone right now can see on the site, even if they're not logged in as a, a specific member? Like if you go to someone's profile or whatever? Yeah, you can uh, you can try my profile. So I'll, I'll just uh, put the URL in the Zoom. Okay. Yeah, I'll make sure to drop a link to that in the show notes. Um, well, well, what I like about this is that um, if you look at my GitHub profile and then on my Game Therapy profile, you'll see that the squares, where, when GitHub is, has a, an empty square, you'll find out that Games Directory has that square filled. And it just shows that mm. when I don't push code, I'm actually earning achievements. <laughs> yeah, good way to see what you're doing with your time. Yeah, and I think I'm going to implement a feature that will uh, allow you to make that private. <laughs> I wouldn't like to my directors to see this. Well, you can just say it's a market research, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Going back to the Rails app here, do you want to talk a little bit about specific gems that you might be using that helped you build this app, besides, you know, just what's included with Rails? Um, yeah, um, so I'm using Puma as my web server, MySQL. For performance, I use Bootstrap and OJ. Then for my caching, I use Redis, of course. For my views, I use Slim because I absolutely hate BRB. I just I can't get get myself to to learn or write ERB. It's just so tedious. And then for my front end, I use uh, Vite, Rails, Turbolinks, and Stimulus Reflex. Um, and then I used to use Draper, uh, but now I'm switching to View Component, uh, which is a library made by GitHub. Then I use Closure Tree because um, I have for example, uh, a PlayStation game has a product, and behind the scenes, a product is essentially a game. So rather than have two tables, I decided to go with a closure tree approach. Uh, sorry, a single table inheritance approach, if you like. Then I also use uh, friendly ID, uh, meta tags, and paper trail, uh, and of course, Paji and breadcrumbs on Rails. That's about it. Yeah, everything else is either um, handwritten or using a front end package. 
Okay. So yeah, sounds like we have a, a lot of good stuff to talk about there. So when it comes to doing the caching, is that basically just the Rails way, like doing Russian doll caching on certain views? Yeah, exactly. Um, so far, is it's been enough. Um, I, I don't see the, the point of going too much um, into caching. Um, I like to, to just, yeah, cache, cache the... Um, partial values and that's about it. So then for friendly ID, is that the one that just converts like an active record ID into some URL friendly slug that you can put in? Yes. Okay, cool. So yeah, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but this whole entire app, is it just basically one monolithic Rails app then? It is, and I love it. Um, so yeah. actually when when I started, you know, when I, when I said, okay, my game is done, I wanna, I wanna start something new. I started writing uh, multiple apps that would essentially communicate through an API. But I think it, it does it does make sense even now to, to have multiple apps. But because I'm I'm the only developer on it, for me it didn't make sense to have five apps that would essentially communicate with each other in terms of maintenance and, and all that. I just found it easier to to integrate everything into a single app. Um, and then I, I, what I do is split them through, um, not engines, uh, namespaces, basically. So if I want to request uh, a PlayStation user, um, I have everything nested under a PlayStation directory. And then the user is obviously called user RB. And to be honest, it, so far, I haven't had any issues. Um, and I don't plan to ever split this. Okay. And just for clarity there, that means like in your models directory, that's where you have the PlayStation directory. So like app models, PlayStation user. Yeah. RB? And same for controllers, same for uh, views and whatever is related to the PlayStation module. Right. That makes sense. And, you know, I don't expect you to know this offhand, but do you have like a rough guess on like how much code you've actually written to create this whole app? Um. Yeah. Like, is that um, how do you do? How do you do it? Is it Rails? Uh, Rails, Rails stats. Oh, Rails stats, right. Let me just run that. I haven't looked in a while. Thirteen thousand two hundred ninety-eight. Okay. And does that include tests or no? Um, I'm gonna say that's yeah, because it's got uh, specs and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's really a testament to Rails, right? It's like 13,000 lines of code, what tests included? And like you've built this whole platform that talks to three, let's just say questionable APIs. <laughs> like, because I would imagine you had to write a lot of code to get around some certain things, but still you have all that functionality. Yeah, um, I do, although I do have some code that speaks to, speaks to the gems basically, but the core of the APIs uh, for PlayStation or Xbox live in gems. Okay, were those gems that you created or you found third party ones? No, everything is uh, written by me. Uh, so I've got Call of Duty, Fortnite, PlayStation, Valorant, Xbox, uh, Steam, and then that's for getting games and user information. And then I have Xbox and Epic um, Open Authentication gems. So in total, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight gems that allow me to communicate with third-party APIs. So do you, do you find that in your day-to-day, -day, you've spent most of your time just messing around with those APIs, making sure everything works and stays up to date? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is mainly what I do. Because obviously with undocumented APIs, if something changes, I don't know. And usually when that happens, I find, uh, I find out through Sentry, tells me something failed or I have a look on psychic jobs and I see that it failed. It's it's rarely now, but before PlayStation released, uh, sorry, before Sony released a, a PlayStation 5, my APIs were failing at least five times a month. But with the new PlayStation, they've also changed their, their API and it seems more stable now. Um, and I haven't found that they change it as much as before. Right. Yeah, it's got to be an interesting way to develop where it's like, yeah, there's no documentation about these APIs. It's all just get an error and then fix it. Like, do you find yourself like writing, I don't even know, like certain types of tests maybe that go off and do these things, but aren't just like mocked out, right? Like you're actually making the calls. 
Like, how do you keep tabs on that? Or do you just get these sentry errors because of people using your site? Yeah, it's the sentry errors, yeah, come from users that are using the site. But what the, the way I test the gems is I save the data that I get from an endpoint, for example, and I save it in a JSON file. And then once a day, what I do is I run a test on games directory, which compares the JSON that I have stored with um, the JSON that I get from the the endpoint. Uh, if if there is a difference um, between them, hit up the uh, fiddler, fiddler. I hit up fiddler and see what changed. Or what what I tend to do is download the the new app for PlayStation, for example, decompile it and see see the changes. Nice. So you kind of do have like a semi-automated way to keep tabs on, you know, making sure these things are up to date. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I guess you could call that that. Yeah, and, and I, I do the same for um, the Fortnite, API, PlayStation, Valorant, and Xbox, yes. Yeah, it's cool to see. Now, you mentioned you are using Sidekick. Do you want to maybe go over some examples of using Sidekick, as well as just maybe expanding the rest of your tech stack, like things we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Like, do you happen to use full text search or uh, anything else, like with Elasticsearch maybe? Yes. So I was actually overusing Elasticsearch, um, but I changed it recently because it just became too big to, to manage. Um, so before, what I used to do was serve the data from Elasticsearch um, rather than uh, the database. After a certain amount of objects, maintaining the Elasticsearch cluster became a full-time job, basically. Because um, at the moment, I have over 1 billion um, activities. Uh, and by activities, I mean um, achievements and trophies they use as end. <laughs> I'm laughing to myself because it's like, you say you have like 7,000 users, but then I underestimated just how hardcore some gamers are to understand that you now have like a billion items in a database. Sorry, so I'm lying a bit. So that's, when I say users, I mean um, games directory users. Uh, but what I also do is friends of friends of friends. So what I actually have is about 10 million users uh, across. Oh, uh, that changes things. Yes, yeah, spread across different platforms. Um, so for Sony, for example, I have 1.5 million, then Microsoft is 2 million, Valve is 5 million, then I've got Activision, Epic, um, and Riot Games. Um, so that's basically pre-synced accounts, um, and that's essentially for providing accurate statistics for, so for example, if I go into a game, I want to see who owns it or how many um, achievements the game hazard, um, and so on. It's, it's essentially just providing that kind of information to the user, because that's, that's what I wanted from, from Games Directory. I want to see who plays Rocket League. Um, if I want to add some friends, I, I just go in Games Directory, look into the, to the game, who owns it, and then I send some friend requests. So yeah, I'd, I do have a lot more accounts stored. Yeah. Is this like an ever-growing universe type of thing where it's like you just have jobs running on a schedule, adding friends of friends of friends of friends of friends, and like it basically never ends? Yes. Um, so on average, I have about 10 million sidekick jobs running because I also update every single game trophy daily. For tr trophies, for example, I update the um, percentage rate, the user base earned. So that happens daily then game information um, also daily because I want to make sure I've got all, all the latest data for it, description, uh, images, and so on. Um, and it's not just games and trophies, it's, it's everything it uses because obviously you want to make sure, in my case, for example, if I earned a trophy, it's there straight away. So there's a lot happening in the back, in the back end. Well, that is a lot of activity going on. And maybe now's a great time to transition into how you have all of this hosted. Let's start off with like, where is this hosted? So I use AWS for everything. So the instance is T2 large. But if you ask me what that means, I have no idea. Because um, it's actually, I think the last time I destroyed and created the instance was two months ago. So it's got two virtual CPUs. And I'm not sure about 
memory and stuff like that. I'm not sure offhand on T2 large, but probably like four gigs in that neighborhood, maybe. Yeah, four or eight, I think. It's, like I said, it's not big. The heavy stuff is on the database and the Redis server. So my Mark, mind's still blown a little bit though, because you mentioned running 10 million active sidekick jobs, but Meanwhile, you're on like a T2 large, like you say, it's not the biggest instance in the world. Plus you have all these thousands of users on the site and using it. And all of that is being served by one box. Well, for the web server in Psychic, right? It's, uh, I mean, it took me seven years to optimize this bad boy. Uh, but trust me, yeah. it wasn't like this last year, for example. Uh, I used to use a, uh, a, a, sorry, a third party service that essentially gave me a very in-depth insight on my performance. So it helped in uh, optimizing the queries, for example, or telling me where to add indexes. And I forgot the name. I feel so bad because they helped me a lot. Is it specific to just database stuff or is it everything? Um, it was specific to database. Um, I essentially asked for the help and uh, uh, asked them if they can help me. Um, and they gave me a month of free uh, use, unlimited use, and they just helped me optimize it. Uh, and I forgot the name, so I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a poo head. So my database is a R6G large. That is a big boy. That is a big boy. Um, again, um, I think at the moment I have over 10 billion records. I'm, I'm pretty sure about 7 billion is just paper trail. And it's actually funny because I can't even use the database, sorry, the table anymore trying to get the count or whatever. I, I can't. The, the only way I can access that table is through uh, MySQL editor. And I can't even view the table, but I can see its uh, information. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know why I still have it, to be honest. Cause I, yeah, it, it still writes fine for it, but I can't read. That is a problem I've never even thought to even think to have. <laughs> yeah. It's like the data's there, but it's like, mm. no, no, no. Um, yeah, it, it takes a while to probably about 10 minutes to get the count. And I have to um, make sure the database doesn't kill my session in the meantime. So it works rightly. Uh But yeah, um, so at the moment, um, I've got 30 connections uh, active on, on the uh, database and it's at 30% CPU. And I've got a million jobs in the queue for Psyche. So it works. It works fine for me. Obviously, I have to make sure that I don't have too many jobs running at the same time to the database. So out of, out of all those jobs, mainly, uh, I'm sorry, most, most of them are actually getting data and preparing it to insert in the database. So they're not all uh, you know, hammer my database. So I've got three instances of Redis, each with three nodes and their role M3 medium. I'm focusing on um, putting all, all the um, heavy stuff, if you like, on, on Redis and the database. Uh, because I, with the database, I also um, have a read-only database. So if something happens with the write, um, I can always read through it and make sure the, the app is not down. And again, with Redis, I do cache a lot. So when, when, for example, when I view my activities, because the way I've designed the database, there's a lot of, there's a lot of data that's building that achievement. So you, you've got to get the activity feed, then it gets the collection, then it gets the user, and then it gets the, the event, which is a trophy. So just for one one of those achievements, there's four four hits to the database. Um, right. And with that in mind, God bless indexes. <laughs> so going back to that EC2 instance, is this just like one instance that you set up and then you just set it up by hand, or did you use any like configuration management tools to set it up? I use Capistrano. Um, sorry, not Cap Ansible to provision. I've got oh, nice. a couple of playbooks. Um, I should definitely. Um, switch to something like Docker. I just, you know, it's, it, it works. So at the moment, I'm like, why why spend all that time with Docker if, if it works? 
I, I can just uh, provision with one one command and it'll take about two minutes to do so. So there's absolutely no need for me, but I do want to try Docker at some point. Right. Yeah, I tend to use both Ansible and Docker together because it's like Ansible can still set the server up, install Docker, install a deploy user, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's like you just run your app in Docker. So they kind of work nice together as a team. Yeah, oh, that's good to know. Now, for that instance, though, what distro did you end up picking in the end? Uh, sorry, Ubuntu. Yeah, Ubuntu. I think it's uh, 18. Pretty sure it's 18, yeah. Uh, but I tend to stay one version behind because some of the packages that I use, um, sometimes I get errors on Ubuntu 20, for example. And also, if I do change to Ubuntu 20, I have to make sure my playbooks uh, work. So I, I tend to stay away from DevOps if I can. Uh, it's not something I, I really enjoy. Yeah. So yeah, it's just the the good old like if it ain't broke, don't fix it type exactly. of thing. Exactly. That's my uh, that's my motto as well. So by the way, when it comes to this instance, do you also have Nginx running in front of Puma or no? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's Nginx Puma, and that's it. I've got obviously I've got uh, Netcache running. Now with Nginx, do you also have Let's Encrypt hooked up for your SSL certs? Yeah, that's why I also use. Okay. And on the AWS side of things, are there any services that we haven't got a chance to talk about that you used, like S3? Or... Um, oh, yeah. That, that for S3, um, obviously the Elasticsearch um, service. Um, I also use Load Balancer. I've got two Load Balancers on um, the instance. Elasticsearch, like I said, um, used to have a lot of data, so it was running a beefy instance, but I've recently switched to a lot, uh, to a small one. Because what I do now is I only use Elasticsearch for um, aggregations and filters. Um, so what I tend to use is just store what I need for those filters rather than the whole document. So it tends tends to be um, a document for a game, for example. It's probably like four or five columns now, whereas before it used to be quite big, just one. Right. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned you have a load balancer in front of that instance. Do you have that also set up then with like auto scaling groups or is it just to give you? It, it, yeah, it's, uh, it is auto scales, but so far it hasn't because again, it's not a lot of traffic on it. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see though that you got things all set up in such a way where even, you know, as someone who doesn't like to do the DevOps stuff, like you still have a, a pretty robust system set up, right? I mean, it's... Um... On, um, with smart editors, we also manage all of our servers. So I have to do that there. So what I tend to do is just copy the, the process so I don't have to do anything new. Right. Yeah, it's a good way to go about it. Because, it, yeah, it's basically software development, right? It's like being able to reuse your knowledge in a different context without having to like redo it from scratch. Yeah, exactly. So do you want to walk us through now like what it's like for you to deploy a new feature, like starting in development? Like do you make a feature branch or whatever and then making its way all the way to production? No, no. I wish I would. Uh, I wish I could say yes, but no. Uh, what I do is I have uh, my develop to uh, automatically deploy on um, every single push. Um, so it kind of deploys about 10 or 15 times a day, depends on how much code I write. And that's because, because it's, it, it's so big that I do get a lot of, a lot of sentry errors for little things that I forget to, to change. So what I tend to do is just fix, push and deploy straight away. Uh, but in terms of big features, um, I do branch, yes, Depen depending on the feature, actually. If it's, if it's something that, you know, will break the app or whatever, I do branch out and push it to develop when, when it's finished. But if it's something like, you know, changing the text or, I, I don't know, changing the layout, basically, I just push to develop. Layout is something that I change quite a lot because I've recently um, switched from a framework that I created to front end to tailwind um, so oh, nice. yeah uh, it's still a work in progress so I tend to push a lot of um, UI changes so how did you like that transition by the way like moving to tailwind oh god uh, it's I love tailwind uh, so my previous framework which was called gridlex 
it was essentially what when I started uh, creating writing uh, Gridlax, my my vision was exactly what Taylor, Tailwind um, is today. I hated writing CSS, um, and what I wanted to do was basically write classes, uh, and that's it. So the transition has been easy because what I did was in Tailwind, um, I used the apply or I don't, I don't know if it's a, a Tailwind thing or a SAS thing, but basically I recreated all my classes from Gridlax and then applied uh, Tailwind styles to them. So when I removed Gridlax, it looked exactly the same without uh, losing the UI. So what I do now is just removing the old classes and replacing them with Tailwind. So I don't have to maintain that kind of uh, style sheet. Right. Yeah, I think that's like a, a really great way to go about it, right? Because it's like you get the benefits of being able to use Tailwind, not have to maintain the second thing, but at the same time, you don't need to do like a crazy amount of work to like deconstruct all that stuff from day one. Yes. So so I, sh I should mention why I chose to do that because, um, uh, again, Sprockets and Webpacker were really slow. Um, so whenever I was making a change, like I said, it was really slow. So I hated that. So I chose to to completely remove the sprockets um, and only have Tailwind. So the only way for me to do that was either go through each, through every single view and rewrite the HTML or just have a, a big style sheet with all the Gridlex, Gridlex classes and Tailwind styles applied. So I chose the latter. Right. And now if it's a rainy day and you're bored, you can go in there and start moving away from those classes to using Tailwind directly, but small baby steps, basically. Yeah, exactly. I've been doing it for three months now, and it worked fine. Um, so I haven't had any issues where, you know, a page looked uh, off or whatever. So I tend to do one page at a time. So earlier during the deploy process, you mentioned that you were pushing to the server every time you did a Git push, basically. Is that like directly to that EC2 instance, or do you have things set up on like GitHub with like GitHub Actions or any type of CI in between? Yeah, it's a Git, GitHub Actions um, and it just deploys straight to, to the instance. Okay, and for that action, do you have it set up to where it's like you run maybe RuboCop and like your test suite and if it all passes, then you push it over? Um, it So the test suite is run locally because it's quite big. Um, so I don't, I don't um, have GitHub Actions on it because it takes too long. Um, so yeah, I, I run it locally once a day. Like I said, depending on what changes I make, if it's if it's a major feature that I know will break something, I run the test suite before. But if it's you know UI changes, uh, absolutely not. There's no point in running the test suite. Right. And uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this one, but now that I know, like your site is substantially large, right? There's pretty decent amount of infrastructure behind there, a massive database, multiple massive databases. I would imagine those things cost quite a lot of money. Like, is there any payment system set up on your site now, or you just run this for free, basically? Um, at the moment, it's free. I have some premium features in mind that I want to implement at some point. But one of my pains is that I hate ads, or I hate websites that lock certain features behind premium. So I'd, I'm not. I'm never going to do that. So I'm, I'm still thinking of what kind of features I could have that I could put into a premium package, you know, without uh, limiting other users to it. Yeah. Like in the gaming context, like you basically don't want to make a, like a pay to win game. Free, but a premium. Yeah. I don't want to create a freemium platform. And I think right. the one of the first um, feature or packages is going to be subdomains. So for example, your my my directory is now available at games directory slash u slash pacmachiavelli. Uh, but with this subdomain feature, it's going to be pacmachiavelli dot games games dot directory. So it just removes that program um, basically. Uh, and I just think it's a nice way of you know making it your directory if if you like. But yeah, I'm I'm still thinking of of. Uh, what features I can put, but you know, I've I've made uh, I've supported this for seven years with 
uh, server costs and, and whatnot. So it's no rush. Um, luckily, I can afford it. Um, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So I'm happy to leave it as it is for now. I hope this isn't too personal of a question. We can cut it out if it is, but do you mind sharing like what your AWS bill is? Because I'm thinking like that database is probably pretty lot, like a lot. Yeah. Um, so on average, um, is about 1500. Was that all in or just for the database? No, all in. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's substantial for sure for a side project that has no, uh, income at the moment. Definitely, uh, hats off to you for running a side project that long for that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, I, I truly enjoy working on this. Uh, and sometimes I find working from my actual job boring. I don't think without, without game therapy, I don't think I would have been as passionate to continue, uh, to continue coding because there's always something new. When, when I go into it, um, I always find a new idea to implement or, or there's just something exciting to it. So I, I think this is more like investing in myself rather than a side project. Right. Yeah, I didn't mean that in like a condescending way. Like, oh, this is like a little side project, but it's... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It is a side project at the end of the day. Because, um, yeah, I have to work on it after hours. But it's also for for myself. I, I like being creative and, and game therapy is something that can unleash my creativeness, if you like. Right. Yeah, no, it sounds like, um, I mean, I'm not here to like judge your, your reasoning for coding on it, but it sounds like it's the purest form of just like wanting to code. Like your goal, it wasn't just making money on day one. It's because like you really love to do it, which is really cool to hear about. Exactly. So you know what's not cool to hear about? Things that can go wrong, like disasters. So maybe now we can switch gears and talk about how you might deal with that stuff. I know you mentioned you do have Sentry hooked up, but like, do you run any like SQL DOMs on a regular basis or backing up user uploaded files and stuff? Yes. So at the moment, I don't have any uploaded or user uploaded files. There's a lot of images though, um, about four terabytes of S3 storage, which I'm not backing up, uh, which is bad also. Well, in your defense, at least for that, like S3 is pretty reliable. Like if we can't depend on S3 being uh, durable, then we're in trouble. We are indeed. <laughs> uh, but my uh, database is uh, backed up every night, and I keep uh, five copies, so uh, five backups at a time, if you like. So five days uh, data retention. Is that like um like an RDS snapshot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that's interesting because I would imagine just having five of those backed up, like that, probably costs a decent penny too, just to have them sitting there, right? It does. Yeah, that's why I have to keep five. <laughs> Um, I would have liked to have um, 30 uh, because I, I've been bitten before where I've introduced a bug into one of my um, services that were syncing uh, uh, and um, updating the PlayStation trophies. I lost about 300,000 trophies. Basically, what, what it did is it, it over, uh, over, it um uh, the name and the image. Um, so yeah, I, I lost the uh, 300,000 trophies that I had to resync because I only noticed two weeks after. Oh man. When I just logged in and I was like, well, why are the trophies uh, without the name? And I found out why. And again, because PlayStation uh, doesn't actually have an endpoint for the trophies, the only way you can get them is through a user that earned them. So it was a it was a bit of a headache to to create a service that will uh, go through every single trophy and try and find uh, a matching endpoint. Did that end up being a whole bunch of code that you had to write? It, it was, yeah. Um, I essentially wrote a new um, service, and when I say service, uh, this is how this is why I use in the app to communicate with third party APIs. A service um, which is essentially a Ruby file that has a couple of methods which calls the gem file um, API. Uh, yeah, so I wrote some serv- uh, I wrote the service that went through each trophy and then had to look in through all the collections um, in the database, see which user has that game 
go and hit the API for that user, sync all of his games, because again, there's no endpoint for getting a single collection and fix the, the trophy. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of code. It was just a lot of, uh, data communication between Games Directory and the PlayStation API. And you also have a limit for, uh, 150 an hour. So there's a lot of, uh, about two weeks it took me to fix all the trophies. So I was constrained by the, the limit to the API. Well, at least at the end of the day, now you have some pretty durable code that's capable of running uh, for two weeks like that. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's actually no, it's um, it it's it's all handled by Sidekick. I also have uh, I'm creating something that I hope I will have released as the first Games Directory jam publicly. Essentially, what it does is uh, handles uh, throttling um, through multiple servers. So something I didn't mention is that I also have about 50, I don't know, mini servers, if you like, uh, that have spread across Heroku um, and AWS with three tiers. So essentially what it is, it just uh, holds the, the gem and allows me to have more than 150 requests an hour because each server has its own IP and I can uh, use that to ensure that I don't hit the limits. Right. Um, and what this gen does is throttling uh, for every single server and keeps keeps a balance, if you like, um, how many uh, requests I have available on this server. Um, and if I don't have any, which server can I uh, connect to, to get my data? Because uh, at the end of the day, the, the only reason I, I like, I'm doing this is because I want to have the data I want to make sure it's up to date. So all all those accounts are synced daily. So when you have two million accounts with 150 requests an hour, it's not easy to keep them up to date. So every now and then I just spin up a new server, an API server, and add it to my little collection. That's a cool way to solve that problem. Because yeah, doing that with 150 an hour for two million records becomes like basically impossible with just one server, right? No, yeah, it does, yeah. So uh, shout out to Heroku for providing free dinos. Well, up until now, <laughs> at least. Hopefully they don't cancel your uh, setup. No, no, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> that would be a... Uh... Actually, now that you mention it, I think I need to, uh, a plan for it in case it goes down. So by the way, on the topic of like other things that could go wrong, do you have any like alerting set up to where, you know, if one of these boxes goes above certain memory or CPU threshold, like you get notified? Like CloudWatch alarms for AWS stuff? Um, I have, um, so I use better uptime to monitor all the, all the servers that I add. And whenever one of them goes, um, offline for more than 50 seconds, 15 seconds, I get a text and it's actually, uh, not that spammy. Um, I probably get two or three texts a week. So it's rarely that they go down. And for those, you know, those times where it goes down like a couple times a week, is that just due to like the web server timing out or is it something that just like self heals on its own? Uh, no, it just uh, restart the server manual, manually. Do you have any like job set up to like restart, like literally reboot the box when it comes to a certain point? Yeah, no, I do it manually. If I, if I get a text, I log in and restart the box. Right. I haven't actually looked in if I can... Um, automate this in any way uh, but if at any point it becomes too much to handle i'll probably have to look into it uh, but like i said i do have three tiers so heroku i don't think heroku does offers this service for free it'd be nice if they do yeah so the reason for those servers needing to be rebooted is, is that because they just run out of memory yeah yeah it's uh so for, for example, on Xbox, when you do the bulk job, you do get like something else, six, six to 10 megabytes of JSON. So obviously that's, uh, uh passed on the server, uh, with OJ. And sometimes if there's, if there's too many requests for bulk, um, it will time out, unfortunately. Um, cause there's just too much, uh, for, for a simple server to process. 
but it just depends on what kind of jobs are run on that server, for example. Right. Yeah, sounds like you have uh, a really cool operation going there, like ways to kind of not quite automate self-healing, but you've got things dialed in to where you know what you're doing basically on a day-to-day. Yeah, I'd, I like to think that. <laughs> um, there's 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 room for improvement. I mean, I've only... Um, so I have, I've been doing this for seven years, but not until last year has this become something that I did every day. So yeah, I mean, over six, over the last six years, I've done probably a thousand commits to games directory, but over the last year, I've done something like 800. So I've just been pushing it over, over the last year because I do want to, I, I do want people to use it. So I'm, I'm just working on, um, you know, better user experience and ensuring everything is stable before I go and say, okay, this is Games Directory, this is what it does, and feel free to use it. I do feel that if if there's more than 7,000 users, I'll probably have to start uh, increasing the servers and, and whatnot. So this podcast usually just focuses more on the tech stuff, but it's super interesting because there's not too many guests that I've had on who have a full-time, you know, like nine to five or nine to six job. And then another project that they've maintained for like over seven years and still like consistently want to work on it. So I'm curious, like, how do you find not the motivation or whatever, but like the energy to do your best work to work in this project after doing like a full day's job? Like I said, it's work sometimes is really frustrating, like dealing with clients and whatnot. So games out is is how I heal myself. <laughs> Sounds like I'm zenning here. No, but it is. It's it's how I regain that passion for coding. I'm not saying I'm hate I hate my job, but sometimes it's really, really frustrating. That's my that's how I find the energy. Because otherwise I'd probably just give up and, you know, just do my, my job and that's it, call it a day. Right. Yeah, because sometimes at a day job, if, you know, if you get hung up on something or you're just hitting your head against the wall, can't solve some problems, it's almost like the last thing you want to do is then come home and then code more because it's like you're just drained from the day. Yeah, exactly. And another thing with uh, my day job is that more than often uh, I'm doing exactly the same thing. And again, that becomes really tedious. And that's why I'm, I'm I'm missing from my from my, my my day job is moving to something else. Cool. So, what would you say some of your best tips and lessons learned are from building out this app? Oh, I don't know. Don't do it. No. Um, plan. I think some some stuff that I've been doing over the last year is redoing redoing it better. I think if if I were to do this again. I would definitely put everything on paper and see exactly what I want to build rather than, oh, this would be nice and yeah, yeah, let's do this. And then, you know, not having a, a goal basically. Right. And, and my goal at the moment is cleaning everything that's that's in there and ensuring everything works uh, and looks the same and then move on. So my advice would be just just have a plan before you you start writing code. Right. And like that plan too, it doesn't need to be like a grand plan that you spend four months developing, right? It could just be like a couple of hours of brain dumping what you want initially, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, what do you want to build? How do you want to build it? What what kind of um, issues you think you'd you'd, uh, come across uh, and so on. And one thing I've struggled with before was uh, like I said, when I started, I used to use a third-party API uh, called PSN Leaderboards, um, and they just stopped updating the API. And for three months, uh, the platform couldn't, Games Directory couldn't update the users' uh, achievements and so on. So I had to learn how to reverse engineer and basically create my own API. So I think it, it's it's something like, you know what happens if if this goes offline? If 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 I were to charge people for this, I would have I would have been in big trouble, I guess. Yeah, but going back to what you said before, I really like that, like the idea of just writing things out. Because, like you say, when you have a goal in mind, it's it's so much easier to finish something because there's actually like a finish line. Yeah, exactly. And then when it's done, it's not even like, oh, that's it. I'm never going to touch it again. It's like, well, now you can just do maintenance or whatever you want to do afterwards. Yeah, 
yeah and then you know if if you have if you have a goal it doesn't have to be a final goal but if you have something to get to you feel that sense of uh, completion yeah whereas um if i i used to find myself on just writing code but like when when do i when do i move on basically when when do i start adding some new features so what i do nowadays is is have like a little to do every day i always make sure that whatever i add in my to do is achievable achievable by the end of the day so at the end of the day i, I see a to do list that's been completed and then i just move on tomorrow with a new to do list and so on and that just helps me moving on at the end of the day i don't think about uh, code or anything because I've, I've completed everything so there's no need to think about anything else yeah it's a great way to go about it because now yeah because I, I always get stuck in like loops where if you don't get that done yeah you can't relax because it's like no matter what you do you just think about like oh well there's this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing yeah exactly so vlad thanks a lot for coming on the running in production podcast it was really great having you on no yeah it was it was great uh, thanks for having me Anytime. So before I wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that? Uh, yeah, I'll um, I'll have a, I don't tweet a lot, but I, I do tweet sometimes with uh, screenshots of stupid code. And I'll put a link to the GitHub for Games Directory um, because soon um, I will open source it. Just dealing with a couple of small things, uh, but it will be open source and hopefully people start contributing and building a, an awesome platform together. Nice. So when that happens, just shoot me up and I'll, I'll make sure to update the show notes to it so it's in there. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Cool. And on that note, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Running In Production podcast. You can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show.